For the past several weeks, we have been studying through the book of James, and we continue that today. And the focus on this book is maturity. James is saying, as a Christian, we are to grow up. We are to mature in our relationship to the Lord. Now, he began in chapter 1 by saying that trials bring about maturity to us. As we go through the trials of life, that produces endurance, and endurance leads us to maturity. When we got to chapter number 2, he said the mature person responds rightly to the Word of God. That we hear the Word, but that we also do the Word. Now, today we've come to chapter number 3, and James tells us here that the mature believer has control of his or her tongue, that they are able to control their tongue. I heard the story about three pastors who served in the same town. They'd become very close friends. And so they went on a fishing trip one Friday evening, and while they were out there, because they were such close friends, They said, why don't we confess our secret sins to each other? And so the first one said, well, I'll go first. And he said, "Uh, my secret sin is that I take a drink now and then. I know that I shouldn't, but, but I do. And he said, and so that is my secret sin. The other one said, well, I'll go. You started it. I'll go. He said, my secret sin is gambling. He said, once a year, I go to Las Vegas, I play the slot machines. He said, if I happen to pass by a 7-Eleven, they're selling lottery tickets, and I don't see anyone around. He said, I will buy a lottery ticket. No, I shouldn't, but I do. The third pastor didn't say anything. They looked at him and said, well, now, we've confessed our sin. What's yours? He said, well, my sin is gossip. So today, take your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Behold, the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? 
Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. Well, one of the problems of the tongue is that of boasting. And so James says in verse 5, So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. John Bassanio, former pastor of First Baptist Houston, once told me, I don't exaggerate, I just remember big. Well, there is the temptation of pride. And so Paul, uh, James says in verse number 1, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. Now, ambition is not inherently bad, but it can be as it is in this case. You see, there are some who are ambitious. They desire position simply because they enjoy position. George and I was governor of Oklahoma, a member of the church that I pastored there. He told me once, one should not run for office simply because they want to be elected to the office. He said they should run not because of the position, but because they want to make a difference. They want to make things better. Now, see, that was the problem of Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 who saw the power of the Holy Spirit, he wanted the power, and so he offered Peter money for the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not that he wanted that power to make things better for people. He simply wanted the power because he wanted the position. There are some people who want a position because they enjoy the privilege that goes with the position. Barclay, commenting on this passage, said it was actually held that a man's duty to his rabbi exceeded his duty to his parents. It was actually said that if a man's parents and a man's teacher were captured by an enemy, the rabbi must be ransomed first. So James here is dealing with the temptation we have of ambition. He is dealing with the temptation to pride. And so he issues a warning about our sinful nature in verse number 2. For we all stumble in many ways. The word stumble that is used there means to slip up. Barclay said, sin is so often not deliberate, but the result of a slip up when we're off our guard. So James says then, be careful when you become ambitious, make sure that your motive is a correct motive because we have a tendency to slip up. And then he warns us, he says, and remember that those in a position of leadership will incur a stricter judgment. If you are a teacher, if you are in a position of leadership, he says that your judgment is going to be stricter than someone who is not. And so then James goes from that warning and begins to illustrate the responsibility of leadership. In verse number 3, Now if we put the bits into the horses' mouths so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. So James is saying then that the horseman is responsible for the horse. And so the horse must be kept under control because that is the responsibility of the horseman. Verse number 4, Behold, the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, 
are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. He says then, in a ship, the rudder is very small in comparison to the ship, but the captain is responsible for the direction of the ship and for the safety of the passenger. So the point that he is making is that the tongue is small, like a bit, like a rudder. The, time, the tongue is small, but it has a great impact. I remember hearing Charles Bagnell say to Patsy one time, words mean something. They do mean something. A judge can utter a word, guilty or not guilty, and that determines whether the person is going to spend his time in prison or if he is going to spend it at home. Bernanke can say something about the economy and the stock market will go up or down according to what he has said. So the point that James is making, be careful of your tongue. If you're in a position of leadership, be careful of your tongue because you are responsible for it. Now that he goes on and talks about the destructive capability of the tongue, he says the tongue burns just like a fire in verse number 5b. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Now, let's think about that. He is comparing here a fire and a tongue. What would we say about a fire? Fire begins small and then it spreads. You might remember two or three years ago there was a woman who was charged for carelessly throwing a lit match out the window of her car, and 80,000 acres in Idaho was burned as a result of it. So it starts small, and then it spreads. Now, folks, our words have greater impact than the moment. An unkind word or a thoughtless word can cause discomfort for days in the home, for weeks in the home. I told you this, I think, and... Two or three years ago, we had flu that was going, everybody was sick, like we've had recently. And I went home from work, and my wife was lying there in the floor, in the kitchen. And I looked at her and said, uh, what's, what's wrong with you? And she said, I guess I have the flu. And I said, and boy, I hope I don't get that. And I went up to watch the ball game. Now, that's a stupid thing to do. And I still hear about it today. Now, you're looking for my wife, and she is uh, on spring break with our grandkids, and so she's not here. But the point that I'm making is that sometimes you say something, and it's a stupid thing to say, and the reper repercussions last a long time. And those have lasted a long time. <laughs> a critical word in the church can upset the unity of the congregation for a long time. So what we need to understand, our words, just like a fire, might begin small, but they have great impact. They grow larger. And so we are held accountable for those. Now, not only does the fire start small, it also defiles. The fire burns, it destroys, and the smoke defiles. I can share another illustration of brilliance. 
We had an electric grill, and it had those little briquettes in it. And uh, I was going to cook outside, and, and I looked at those briquettes, and they had grease all over them. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll clean those up. And so I start trying to wash them. Did you know it's real hard to get grease off of briquettes when you wash them? And I happened to go by the oven, and it said self-cleaning. And so I think, well, you know, if you turn it up there and it cleans the grease off the oven, it ought to work for the briquettes. So I got the briquettes, I put it in the oven, and I turned it up there where it said self-cleaning, and I left. When I came back later... It took days to get the smoke and the smell out of the house. And then I learned you don't clean the briquettes, you get new ones. But I was trying to do that too. And so they, they, a fire defiles. You know that there's smoke damage. And it, it defiles when they... Well, folks, it's the same, the same thing is true with your tongue. Whenever we say a word, whenever we say something that is hurtful then it also is defiling. Now, not only does it defile, but it hurts. It's my understanding that there's probably not anything more painful than being burned. Now, I remember Linda's uncle some years ago was burned over his body. There was a fire in his house, and he was badly burned and scarred as a result of it and was in treatment for a long time. It hurts. I believe that the cruelest people I probably know are those who use the tongue to hurt people. There are some people who would never abuse someone physically, but they do so verbally. And they hurt people simply because they are mean. It destroys. A fire destroys. The tongue destroys. Hitler used his tongue and destroyed six million Jews as a result of it. And the tongue destroys marriage. It destroys churches. It destroys businesses. It destroys relationships. James is speaking about the tongue. He said it's like a fire. It hurts and it destroys. It defiles. Then he said it's like an untamed animal in verse number 7. For every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. The word restless evil there means Unruly. It is a it is a picture of an animal that has not been tamed. It's it's a wild animal that he is speaking of, and he says it has a deadly poison. The word poison that is used there has two meanings. First of all, it means venom, which speaks of the venom that comes from a poisonous snake, and then it means rust. Rust. Your words over a period of time can corrode and corrupt relationships. Your word is like rust. Why do we allow the use of our tongues to hurt people? Why do we do it? And I, I, I know it's not you. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking those people who, about those people who didn't come today. Why do they do that? Why do they use their tongue to hurt others, to, to cause division? Why do they do that? Oh, because we have a sinful nature, because of our nature. You remember Jerry Clower? Jerry Clower told the story about, uh, he always talked about the Ledbetter family. And he told the story about Eugene Ledbetter. He said that Eugene was always lying. You know, he, he would just, that was just his nature. That's what he did. He was a young guy, and so 
One day the next, the neighbors next door had a dog, had mange, and so they shaved the dog except for his head and his tail. And the dog came over in their yard and he said, Eugene began yelling, a lion is loose and a lion is loose. And said all the kids were scared to death and they start running and trying to get away from the lion. And he said, Uncle Verse, he said to Eugene, you go inside the house and get on your knees and you repent, you pray until God forgives you. And he said, after a while, uh, some time had passed, and Eugene came out, and Uncle Versi asked him, said, did, did you go in and pray? And he said, I did. He said, did God forgive you? He said, uh, he, he did. He said, well, what did God say? And he said, well, God said when he first saw him, he thought it was a lion, too. <laughs> well, one of the reasons we use our tongues like we do is because of our nature. We have a sinful nature. Some of you do because of nurture. You learned it at the feet of your mom or your daddy or somebody else. You were nurtured that way. Some simply because they're negative. There's some people just born in the negative mood. I mean, every day has the possibility of rain and, 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 and every action has the potential for evil. I mean, they're just negative. We have to understand that the tongue is potentially dangerous and we're held responsible for it. But then there's the tongue that blesses. You see, the tongue can be used for good or bad. It can, it can be used to encourage or discourage. And so James then compares it to a fountain and to a tree. In verse number 9, With it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? What he's saying is like water in the desert, the tongue can give life. Solomon said the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now, your tongue can be used in a destructive manner. It can be used to hurt or it can be used to heal. It can be used for good. Simon Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved when they heard the gospel of Jesus. As a result of the teaching and the preaching of the Apostle Paul, millions of people have come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And my friend, with your tongue, you can condemn the sinner or you can share the good news of Jesus' love with them. You can criticize or you can encourage. You can build up or you can tear down. John Bunyan said of Talkative in Pilgrim's Progress, He was a saint abroad and a devil at home. What a sad description. That some people come to church or they're out in public and they are saints and they uh, have the, the good words and all of that, but as soon as they go home, they begin to tear down, to rip apart. James says these things ought not be. A fountain does not put out both fresh and bitter water. And folks, we are not to be one way at church and publicly and another way privately. We're to be the same. Then he compares it to a tree in verse number 12. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. You know, the thing about a tree, as you consider the comparison that he draws, is that a tree is consistent, is it not? 
it produces the same fruit every year. If it's an apple tree, it doesn't produce apples one year and figs the next. It produces the same fruit. Did you know the same thing is true concerning your tongue? The tongue is always consistent with the heart. And folks, let me say something to you. And if the heart is wicked, your words will be wicked. If the heart is righteous, your words will be kind. But I can assure you that your speech is consistent with the condition of your heart. Now, how do we control our tongues? And this is where we're going to end it all up, wrap it up, because that's what we really want. We know everything that I've talked about. You already know that. So how do we control it? Over in Psalm 39, I'm not asked that you turn, but I would encourage you to read this, because that's what David is dealing with there. In dealing with the tongue, our words. First of all, there is self-reliance. We think that we can control it, and so did David. In Psalm 39, verses 1 and 2, he said, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. I was dumb and silent. I refrained even from good, and my sorrow grew worse. Most of us try to control our tongues ourselves, and just like David, we have to confess that we are not successful. J.J. Tymeyer gave this advice, When tempted to gossip, breathe through your nose. Self-reliance never works. We can never control it ourselves, so we have to admit our inability. So in Psalm 39, verse number 3, David wrote, My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned, then I spoke with my tongue. We have to admit our inability. Like David, we also fail with our tongues, right? Or is it just David and me? I can be going somewhere, and I do this. I think I'm not going to get upset and gripe about the drivers, even if they are morons. I'm not going to complain about all the other drivers on the road. I wonder how we that got on the road with me every time. And I, I decide going, I'm just going to sit back and relax, and I'm going to drive down there. I'm not going to complain, and I'll be cool, and Linda will be happy, and it never works. So help me, somebody will come out and do something not brilliant, and I, and I just, what in the world? And so the, before I know what happens, I start talking about that person. We just have to admit we can't handle it, so we need help. And so David recognized that in verses 7 and 8. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in Thee. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. We need help, don't we? We need help with our tongues. Chuck Swindoll said when people begin talking to him about someone else in a negative way, he said, I always ask him, can I quote you on that? <laughs> Write that down. You try that the next time. Somebody comes up criticizing someone, talking about someone, just ask them, say, can I quote you on that? Beth Moore said, um, 
when someone begins to criticize someone to me, I say, well, let me tell you what I most like about that person. Either one of them will work if you try that. And then finally, we just give it to God. We have to give our tongues to God. David said in Psalm 39, 9, I have become dumb. I do not open my mouth because it is thou who has done it. We need to give our tongues to God. Our tongues need to be godly. Now, folks, we can dress up and look spiritual and we can come, we can sing, we can do all those things. But our tongues need to be godly. Our words need to be godly. Alan Redpath gave this advice before you say something. He took the word think, T-H-I-N-K, made an acrostic of it. Asked some questions. T, is it true? Before I say something, is it true? Or am I just repeating what someone else said or what I think? Is it true? H, is it helpful? Before I say it, is it helpful or am I just tearing down? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? And K, is it kind? Ask those questions before you make some statements that you make about other people. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Because according to James, you and I are held accountable for our words. We're held accountable for our tongues. And you know what the greatest thing you can ever do with your tongue? Confess the Lord Jesus. Confess Jesus as Lord. That is the greatest thing you'll ever do with your tongue. Our Father in God, we come to you and thank you for the Lord Jesus who gave his life for us. And Lord, we, we want to be godly in our lifestyle, the way that we live. We want to be mature. And Father, help us to understand the importance of our words, the importance of our tongue. That we might build up, not tear down. That we might encourage, not discourage. And Father, I pray that our speech will bring glory to your name. Father, today I pray for those who have never come to know Jesus as Savior, that they might trust Him today. I pray, Father, for other commitments that need to be made, that they will be. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand, and the choir's going to sing. We extend an invitation for you to come and trust Jesus as Savior, join the church. Whatever it is that God's put on your heart, you do it today. Let's stand together as we stand and they sing, you come, our greet you as you do.